Quite frankly, this guy, when he was on the Bruins, they weren't used to losing. They forgot basically what it was like to have defeats through those three consecutive seasons when they went to Final Fours under then-head coach Ben Hallen. Alfred Aboya is who I'm talking about, and he joins us on this episode of Locked on Bruins. As we welcome you into the show, I'm Brian Fenley. I'm also a national anchor for Fox Sports Radio. You can check me out on Twitter. Give me a follow there, Brian Fenley, Brian with Y, F-E-N-L-E-Y. You can also keep tabs on Alfred's whereabouts on Twitter. His handle is A-L-A-Boya12. That is A-L-A-Boya12. With Alfred on the show, we're going to get a timeline on his life from growing up in Cameroon to the lessons that he learned during his upbringing and how he was able to funnel that into getting to the United States and how that ended up working out for him. Then what led him to UCLA and sifting through the whole college game and and how he made a name for himself there to what he thinks about teaming up with Russell Westbrook and Kevin Love in college to his professional basketball aspirations and how that took him across the globe playing in several different countries brought upon some very frightening experiences that he will share with us on this episode of Locked On Bruins and then it will culminate with him telling us what he's doing now and what you will learn from this guy is he is selfless and he is dedicated to helping others and Alfred I'm so glad to have you on this episode before I begin I wanted to preface and ask you how are you and your family doing during this coronavirus outbreak? Well, I'm doing well. Uh, first of all, thank you. Thank you for, uh, for tracking me down and uh, putting me on your show. Uh, yeah, uh, everybody is doing well. Uh, we obviously are living on unprecedented times uh, with this coronavirus thing. But, uh, you know, everybody, my family especially, we, uh, we follow what the uh, governments have, you know, asked us to do. Staying at home practice social distancing, hygiene, wash your hand, and all those little things that everybody by now are familiar with. Uh, so family is well. I'm doing well. Uh, I'm stuck away from my family because uh, I can't travel. Um, and, um, you know, I've been confined in my home for three weeks now. So, uh, but doing great, though. Alfred, basketball has been so fulfilling for you. It's created endless amount of opportunities. And I remember a quote from your father when he told you, never forget where you come from. And I feel like you use basketball to help those in your fellow country, countrymen, countrywomen. What efforts have you taken as a Cameroonian and giving back to helping that community during the coronavirus situation? Well, uh, it, it's hard to, uh, you know, to put those things into words. Like, you know, bringing you just from my dad uh, at the beginning of your question. Uh, you know, it's been it's been four years that that he passed, and uh, you know, he's, he's dearly missed. Uh, but who I am today, it's uh, it's a result of his teaching, uh, you know, advice, and uh, you know, he's been my he was by uh, my first uh, my first coach, if you will, coach of life. Uh, he never wanted me to play sports, <laughs> if you can believe that. You know, wow. Me to, yeah, never wanted me to play sport. I hate. Well, people who play sport, they don't go to school. So because, you know, sport is the work, the job within itself. So in order for you to, to succeed in life, you got to go to school. And 
it works in my favor because I stopped playing basketball and I got a scholarship to come here. And I never went to my father and told him that, hey, I'm going to play basketball in the U.S. <laughs> I told him that I'm going to school in the U.S. Ah. And he was okay, he, he okayed it because uh, <laughs> proud to proud of him coming to uh, to my senior night at UCLA. He's never seen me playing prior to that, uh, you know. So for him to to travel to the U.S. to UCLA and witness uh, and being a part of uh, what I did while I was there was definitely one of the uh, you know greatest highlight of my of my playing career. Uh, and to come back to your question, uh, what I do to help, uh, I uh, like right now I'm working with uh, an organization uh, called uh, uh, Cameroon American Council. Uh, so what they do, they they, they advocate, uh, you know, for uh, uh, detainees. Because right now there are a lot of detainees uh, in uh, uh, detention centers, uh, people who fleeing Cameroon and trying to. Uh, get to the U.S. or you know, looking for a better life for themselves, their, their families, uh, and um, and you know, life in those detention centers are rough. Uh, you know, people are confined in small spaces, and with the outbreak of the coronavirus, those people are the most uh, vulnerable population uh, who needs help. So I'm advocating right now, trying to uh, you know have like um, uh, advocate groups and. You know, community leaders, uh, people that I'm talking to, uh, with, and trying to uh, help those Cameroonian people, uh, in particular, uh, in those detention centers, to uh, to get freed from that environment. So, you have such a calling to give back. Going back to your time in Cameroon, where you grew up, I remember one of your teammates at UCLA, Darren Collison, saying that you had been through a lot in your childhood days. What were the obstacles that you had to deal with growing up there in Cameroon that people from the United States just would not understand? I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't call it obstacles because when you grow up, you don't know that they are sure. until you travel and you experience other, other things. Uh, so I don't, I don't necessarily call them obstacles, but I call them lessons, life lessons, because Everything that I encountered growing up in Cameroon has made me who I am today. Every single thing, uh, like nobody, nobody wouldn't understand. Nobody would, you know, would know this. But I, I was hungry one time in my life. You know, I spent five days without, you know, eating anything. Wow. You know, being hungry for real, and you know, one of the biggest, you know, because when I moved to the U.S., I went to a prep school, the Tilton, uh, Tilton, New Hampshire, was a boarding school. And then, um, and boarding school have their own uh, cafeteria where everybody goes and eat. So I go to the cafeteria. I see so much food, and people are now in, uh, you know, people will eat like a little part of it, a little portion, and the rest, the leftover, it will be thrown away. You know what I mean? And for me, that you know, looking at it, I'm like, wow, I can't believe that there are parts in the world where, you know, people will just throw food. You know, and coming where I'm coming from, there are people who just go hungry uh, because they don't have that. Um, so for me, that was just a life lesson that whatever, whenever you make it, you got to, when you reach the top of the mountain, you always have to turn back and grab somebody's hands, you know, behind you to pull them up as well. So those experiences have shaped me in that sense that with the little success that I have, I'm now able to help other people put them up so they can in turn do the same thing and pull somebody else's up. So I don't see them as 
challenges or difficulties, but just like life lessons. We take so many things for granted here in the United States. You mentioned food, and I cannot even imagine what it must have been like for you to go five days without food. And we take things like that for granted here in this country where in other parts in the world it's it's not so easy. When you made the move from Cameroon to the United States, I read that when you went through the admissions process that your interview, you did it in French through a translator because you did not feel comfortable with your ability to speak English. What sort of challenges was learning English and it presented to you when you got to the States? I'm just blessed and lucky. Let's just start there. Um, so, because when I, I was contacted uh, by the lady, uh, Mrs. Oxford, I did a mission from the admissions office at Tito School. Uh, before we even got, before we got there, the guy who helped me put me in connection with Tito School knew my coach back home in Cameroon. Uh, so the coach in Cameroon just gave him my information, and then uh, I was coming back from again one time, and the the guy calls me. And I don't understand what the guy is talking about. And, you know, all I heard was email. Email, French, and English is the same thing. So, um, you know, he, I got his email. So I went and I had a friend helping me. So every correspondence with him, I had a friend next to me translating and letting me know what he was saying. And the same thing with uh, Mr. Osford at the admissions office of Tilton School. Whenever we're corresponding through emails, I always ask somebody, telling me or translating to me what she was saying. Um, and, and funny thing, um, so in in Cameroon, college is not university. College is still high school, hmm. right? So when they, yeah, so, so when they ask me if I want to come to the U.S. and go to college, I'm like, no, I don't want to go to college. I'm already in college here. Huh. You know, you see? Yeah, so... Because uh, I was uh, I was an 18 year old, uh, you know, uh, junior in high school. I was graduating, but then when I came back here, I went back to I got put back two grades. I got I got put two grades back, 11th grader, uh, you know, because I had no knowledge of English whatsoever. Uh, so I was kind of confused when I got here, and I was in a little classroom with other ESL. ESL is English as a second uh, language. It's a class, and it was a uh, uh, you know Asian. Uh, students there and uh, Turkish students. And when I got to the classroom and I see those little kids, you know, I'm grown. You know, yeah. I'm like, man, these, these people did a mistake. Like, I mean, I'm was supposed to go to university. Why am I here? But there's no way I can communicate that. So, you know, it's uh, it's crazy how, you know, things just worked out for the best and uh, I got where I got. How many different languages do you know? Man, uh, I would say five. Uh, I used to know more, but the fact that I'm not practicing some of them, I'm I'm losing the grip of them, of them. So, but I, yeah, I can I can say that I speak French, English, uh, you know, Spanish. Uh, I learned Japanese when I played it for three years. Uh, so, um, Spanish. I already mentioned uh, living in California and playing in Venezuela. So mm-hmm. I, uh, yeah, I, and uh, I can. Uh, you know, I, I think I can, uh, uh, if you in any situation, I can be able to, uh, you know, talk my way out of it. We continue our conversation with Alfred Aboya right after this, as he will give us the deets on how he ended up at UCLA.
Former UCLA basketball player Alfred Aboya joining us here on Locked on Bruins. And as we look back on his career, what a career it was. Lots of winning during his time in Westwood. Three consecutive Final Fours he was a part of. So I know looking back, he's thinking that was a good decision to come to the land of the Bruins. But Alfred, how did you initially pick UCLA? That's that's another interesting question. Remember, like when I came to the U.S., I didn't know anything. First college, still high school. So I thought I was, you know, coming here to go to university, but I was going to, you know, prep school. So that's the base. Uh, and I didn't know. Not only did I have no knowledge about, um, you know, the, the language, I also had no knowledge about school system, how it works. I didn't know any university. Actually, I knew Georgetown University because uh, some fellow Cameroonian went to that school. Uh, that's the only college, I knew, the only university I knew. Nothing else. So when I get to New Hampshire, I told my coach, Kyle Willard, that, hey, that's the place I want to go. I want to go to Georgetown. Uh, and also, I had like, political ambitions. Like, hey, I want to I study politics. That's where I want to go. And he contacted people at, you know, Georgetown and uh, Coach Estrick actually came and walked me practice and offered me a scholarship. So I actually had a, I verbally committed to Georgetown. So everything was all set and done. That's where I was going. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and that's all I knew. Uh, and that was my, my junior year. And I was just, I was fresh, uh, you know, off the plane, straight from Cameroon. And uh, after that year passed, you know, the coaching staff at Georgetown got fired. Uh, so, and I had a great year, won the state championship in New Hampshire, the uh, uh, prep school league we were playing in. Then a lot of schools started coming, you know, and I reopened because by, you know, by the, the coaching staff in George, at Georgetown was fired, and I reopened my recruiting process. That's when all those schools started coming, and I started visiting those schools. And uh, I visited uh, Virginia, Georgetown and all those schools, uh, UConn in the winter, and it was so cold. And I never been, I never been to a warm. I mean, Cameron was the warmest place I've been. I never been to Southern California. So when I, I uh, went and visit UCLA, I got on campus. I didn't want to go back to New Hampshire. <laughs> you know, I was so, I was so by the weather. I'm like, no, no, this is, this is where I need to be. This cold weather thing, I don't think I can, I can do it. So. Weather solving. The second thing was the coaching staff. I think, you know, Ben Holland and his coaching staff was, you know, great people. I think I connected uh, immediately with them, uh, and I felt like I could contribute and I could play there. Uh, and uh, the third thing was uh, uh, high academics. Uh, UCLA is high academics, and you know, to make my father proud, he always wanted education to be first. Uh, going to a school like UCLA, which is uh, the best academic school, one of the best academic schools in the country, will make him pride. So those are the three reasons that, um, you know, pushed me and I ended up there at UCLA. I feel like you're forgetting another reason. Fellow Cameroonian Luke Richard Emba Amute being a part of the program as well. So maybe that was another incentive to join the school? Uh, so, so I don't. The reason why I didn't put it there is because we, it was funny because we almost got recruited by the same teams, uh, you know, UCLA, Virginia. Uh, so we were talking about it, and we visited in the same, you know, we went there at the same time. We're on the same recruiting trip, and he was already in, he went to to uh, to school in Florida. So 
you know, the weather wasn't a new, new uh, uh, to him. Uh, as we were talking, we're like, man, this is, you know, this is the place to be. Um, but that, you know, that really, I mean, that was, that was, uh, I can't, I can't categorize that. I can't put in those three reasons because, you know, had not gone anywhere else, I would have been still at UCLA. For sure. And if I'm not mistaken, both of you guys grew up close to each other as youngsters? Um, we, uh, we grew up next to each other, actually. His house and my parents' house was like five minutes away from each other. Uh, so in the year that we both came to the U.S., we were supposed to play for the same team. So UCLA was just, you know, something that was bound to happen. So we, uh, in Cameroon, I met him in Cameroon, we were practicing, we were on the same team, and we were supposed to we get ready to play that season, the 2003-2002-2003 season uh, of the Cameroonian League. Uh, but we left uh, before the season started. So we practiced together. I knew him for, I, I knew him for the, uh, we, we came to the U.S. Um, okay. And then, uh, you know, the, re, the, the reunion in UCLA was just, you know, something that was bound to happen, like I said earlier. We were bound to play together. You were part of the winningest class in UCLA basketball history. And now people might think, well, what about John Wooden's years and those classes that came in? Well, those seasons were shorter. And freshmen at that point, when he was the coach, were not allowed to play. You were part of three Final Fours, and you had a chance to play around immense talent, including one in Russell Westbrook, who has skyrocketed in the NBA. What signaled to you before he got big time in the league that he had the signs of someone who was going to be that big before he was that big, when he was still raw and young? If, I, if, if even Russell told you that he would reach that stardom, he would, he would lie to you. you know, really? Because... Yeah, yeah, because there's one thing about him. He was fearless. He was fearless because I, I, I witnessed his growth. Freshman year, he, he was early playing. You know, he was always, you know, he was back up to uh, uh, Darren Carlson, and, you know, he has no room for errors. Uh, so, but then the summer of his freshman to sophomore year, that's when the growth happened. Uh, we, the good thing we had at UCLA, it was that a lot of superstars, you know, they spent the summer in L.A. and they were playing a UCLA gym. So having that was the greatest thing that ever happened to UCLA athletes, especially basketball players, because we're competing against those pros in the summer, and that allowed us to grow as fast as we did. And Russell was a gym rat. Like, he was always there, always competing. So the jump that he made from his freshman year to his sophomore year was just tremendous. You know, his sophomore year was just unstoppable. Like, he kept going up, going up, and going up. And he believed highly of himself. Like, he knows, uh, you know, that with how well you can get you know, to, to whatever you can get to. And uh, he, uh, he just put the work in. So that is the result of him, you know, dedicating himself and, uh, and wanting to be the best, uh, which he is now. So. That, but I, I, I didn't see. I didn't see. I didn't see. I didn't see that. The roster today. If you told me like years back that hey, he'll be this guy, uh, I won't. I won't believe it. Wow. And then you also had Kevin Love on your team for that one year. 
when Kevin and you guys were practicing, what was it like going up against that guy? Kevin Love is probably the most talented player I've, 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 I've ever played against. Always. Um, you know, he was just so dominant. Like, he's, his basketball IQ knowledge, his passing, uh, all the skills that he had were just, I mean, you don't, you don't teach that. You know, I remember we used to have a drills in in uh, in, uh, in practice where because we have like a big session in the the, the guard the, the guard section and the the, the big uh, 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 section. So uh, in the big section, who you have to defend on in in the post, and you have to get three stops uh, to get out of the drill. And then I remember one practice where we just Kevin Love would just giving it to, to us. <laughs> Nobody could stop him. Now, we can't... No, Coach just had to stop that drill because that drill could have gone forever. Nobody could have stopped him. So, you know, he's just a, 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 a truckload of talent. Uh, him, on the other hand, I knew he's going to reach the stardom level in the NBA because he already had all the tools as a freshman in college. Now, following your college career, you went on to play professionally across the globe, Venezuela, Turkey, France, Japan, others. Were you in Japan when they had that earthquake and that tsunami? Yes, yes, 2011. It was probably uh, the scariest event that I ever witnessed. Um, you know, I remember <laughs> like it was yesterday, uh, a Friday, you know, uh, March 11. We sit. I'm sitting in my hotel room. We had a game that night. I'm talking to my friend through uh, Skype, and he's saying on the phone, "What is it? Is it earthquake? Because it hasn't hit me yet." Sure. And the second that he asked, things start moving all over the place. And I never would uh, experience uh, earthquake before prior to that. And it was a 9.0 oh. earthquake. So. And uh, the, the the hotel, I was saying that it was all glass window, uh, so you could see all the buildings uh, next to it. And the way those buildings were swerving left and right, I thought those buildings were going to hit each other. So I just jumped out of bed, barefooted. I just ran, ran, ran out of there. And um, it's crazy. Like, you could see bridges just, like, move, um, you know, just carry time. I thought, you know, those buildings were... Uh, would collapse, but uh, those buildings were uh, earthquake uh, built resistant, so uh, we we didn't have that. Then the tsunami came, and it was so sad watching in the news just houses and you know people being just washed away, uh, and there's nothing you can do. You only have your eyes to see. Um, you know, one one of the most traumatic experiences that uh, that I ever experienced as a human being. Gosh. What was it like playing in Libya? Uh, Libya, the way Libya happened, so I was ready to go home because that year I didn't have, I played in Turkey, then I, I came back to the U.S. So I was in the U.S. Um, uh, on, on, on vacation, if you will. Um, and I wanted to go home because I usually spend my, my, my uh, off uh, time in Cameroon. And the Libyan team, the Libyan team just contacted me. I'm like, okay, I'm getting ready to go home anyway. Why can't I just 
they can just fly me to Libya, I'll play Libya, then go to Cameroon, and then come back. So for me, it was just a vacation trip, uh, even though it was uh, a, a war zone, uh, the, the the country was in a civil war. I didn't think anything of it. Um, uh, so I get there, and that was definitely like, so it's, if there's a place where, um, you know, if you ask me to go play there again, I would say never and ever. Libya is probably one of the places because um, two things happened when I was there that really scared me. Uh, not to the level of uh, the tsunami in Japan, but really scared me. So one team that wanted to take me out for ice cream uh, actually did take me out for ice cream. So while we're in the ice cream restaurant eating, the next thing we're here is shotgun, AK-47, just ringing. Oh and, <laughs> and we didn't know what it was. So apparently... Since, you know, since like uh, a lot of people had guns at that time, the country was in war. There were illegal weapons uh, snuck into the country. Uh, so any little argument you might have with your neighbor, you just go to your your house and pull up a gun and start shooting at each other. Yeah. Uh, so the way we fled the restaurant was so funny because my friend, the, my teammate I, I was with, uh, ran to get in the car, got in his car, drove, just. As he was driving by, I opened the door and I just sprinted, hopped on the car, and we just sped up. You know, um, you know that was that was uh, that was crazy. Uh, and in every uh, uh, intersection, there was a, a military tank there with military people there. So it was it was a frightening place to be. And then last thing, uh, rivalry uh, is has a different level there like people teams uh rival team really hate each other fans mm. always fight each other so we had a game where fans start fighting each other and you know we had to had the police escorting us out of the arena and uh the next time because we postponed the game and the next time we played that game was nobody in the stand so those two things uh really uh you know scared me a bit uh but I thought I was going on vacation, play for a month, and then go home. But uh, it was a, a little nightmare. So, <laughs> Yeah, it, it certainly doesn't seem like anything like a vacation. So you ended up eventually coming back to the United States, playing in the D League, which is now the G League, and you are currently coaching. So fill us in on what you're doing now as well. So um, I uh, so the, the league and experience – the Japanese experience, and I played in other countries like Turkey where the money wasn't there, you know. Uh, and, you know, as a man, you got to be able to feed yourself and feed your family. And I got to the point where I, I resented basketball because I felt like I worked so hard because every summer I was working my tail off. Mm -hmm. uh, so I came back to the deal and said, okay, I need to be around, you know, people so people can see me because when you go play overseas people tend to forget you uh so i'm a play in the league so people can see me they can see i, I can still play i can still uh be uh contribute and help the team win um so i would train hard got drafted in the d, the d league uh but because of the visa issues i didn't start playing till january late into the season uh, so my the way my G League uh, career went was um, uh, was not what I expected, uh, and D, D League then was really for team.
to like put their prospect there so they can and, and it, we didn't have like a, a lot of teams that we have now now almost every, every nba team has a g-league G team but then there's only a few teams and uh every other teams have players there that we're looking for so i didn't have that opportunity that you know to showcase my talent and you know show that i could play so that really uh put my love of the basketball down so i didn't want to do basketball anymore uh, i uh, i then went into working for a consulting um, firm a political campaign consulting firm but i was in the you know the fact that you know being in the office from morning to afternoon that is, didn't just sit well with me because my life was all structured and drained away around basketball. Mm -hmm. So I can I can do that. I did that for a month. Then I I decided to go back to school, um, and that's when Coach Holland uh, came in. We talked. He said I could be good for uh, his kids. Uh, you know, I can just show them the way of how how that works, and you know, so he convinced me. So I went to Mississippi State to be a graduate assistant, so to get my master in public policy and administration. Mm -hmm. And uh, being a graduate assistant, learned the in and out of basketball, uh, you know, the other side of it, the coaching side of it. And uh, you know, the, the, that experience was what guided me to now, you know, the coaching into the coaching world because I, um, I, I mean, I love to teach. Like you can, you know, I've acquired a lot of knowledge play for a lot of coaches, I can't just keep that for myself. Sure. I think it's important. Like, I didn't make it to the NBA, and if I could help a kid make it to the NBA, I would live my dream through those kids, you know? So that's why I, I fell in love. I fell back in love with basketball, and I wanted to teach. I wanted to be around kids and help them achieve their goals, which is, you know, where I'm still in today, like coaching the G League um, with the uh, – uh, Minnesota Timberwolves G League team, the Iowa Wolves. Uh, it's my second season as an assistant coach here, and then I, I, I just, I just love it. I, I love where I'm at. And with you saying that, I feel like this interview has come full circle. We started off the interview by mentioning how much basketball has been fulfilling for you, but that you found an even deeper calling, and now you're putting basketball and using it as a vehicle to give back and that brings me to my final question for you and you've been open about this in the past about your want to run for office in your native Cameroon you've even said being their president are you still thinking of doing that or has your mentality changed yeah uh, running my country was definitely a kid's dream you know some kids want to be doctors uh, some astronauts. I just wanted to run my country because there's a particular event that happened that made me want to do that. Uh, so that was a key dream. And as I evolved, as I grew, as a human, as, as a man, uh, that that's still there, but it shifted now. I personally think that believe that my skills calls for a leadership position. So I want to be in a position of power to empower other people. What does that mean? Like I. You know, being a coach fit to that, like helping or you know, being in a position of power to helping kids, like you know, uh, achieve their goals. You know, go to into management, like being a general manager of the team and build an organization uh, that will, you know, not only win championship but build character and people that can be, uh, you know, um, 
good for our community, our society. And even furthermore, like more, even more than that, like my ultimate, like what I want to do now is go back to Africa because the, uh, the NBA is building a, we're supposed to have an African, a basketball African league. Uh, it's a satellite league that the NBA is trying to run in Africa. And, uh, my, my, my new dream is to go there, if it maybe be the, the commission of that league one day. You know, so again, position of power to empower the people. I can't just run the country, Cameroon, which is really small. I think I have a much bigger impact, you know, uh, helping and empowering kids not only from Cameroon but around the world in Africa, especially in particular. So, leading, leading is still my dream. Leading selflessly with compassion for all the right reasons. Alfred Aboya, thank you so much for giving up a part of your day and chatting with us here on Locked On Bruins. We're big fans of you here. The whole Bruin community loves to hear from you. Glad to hear you're doing so well and that you're making such a difference in this world and making it, quite frankly, a better place. And next time, I promise, when we do this interview with you, Alfred, we're going to do Instagram Live. We're going to have that video component to it, too. No problem. Thank you. Be my guest. All right. What a guy. That is Alfred Aboya. You can follow him on Twitter, A-L-A-Boya12, A-L-A-Boya12, to keep pace on what he's doing. I'm also on Twitter, at Brian Fenley. So we have in store for you in the not-too-distant future more former Bruins, iconic Bruins like Alfred who will be on this show. So it'll be a great way to steer your mind away from the present times that we're all dealing with by focusing back on the greatness that has been UCLA Athletics over the years. Appreciate you all giving part of your time of your day here on the podcast. I'm Brian Fenley, and we'll have plenty more. Stay tuned for all the excitement.